you're listening to the Tripe and Rasheen Arts and Culture podcast with me, Ellie O'Byrne. This morning, we're taking a visit to art critic Christine Leach's kitchen in Cork City. Christine was kind enough to invite Tripe and Rasheen in for a coffee and a chat. She has just published her memoir, Negative Space. Well, one of the practical things is I was actually working as a full-time communications consultant um, and I got made redundant in the middle of COVID in, in July 2020. So I suddenly had time to go, what am I doing next? So that was one thing that happened. But the other thing that really happened was um, I had been trying for years to get a compilation or, or a collection of my art criticism published in book form. So something that would show, um, you know, maybe 20 to 25 pieces of my art criticism in, in a collection, um, like a number of US art critics have books like that, you know, like Peter Sheldahl or um, Robert Hughes, you know, and I love reading those books. So that was um, something I'd been trying to do. And I talked to a number of Irish publishers about that, but there is an impression out there that there isn't a huge audience for that type of book. So I had gone back to the publisher that had been most interested, which is Irish Academic Press and Conor Graham there. And we had a Zoom meeting and I said to him, I have an idea for a new format for this book. And the format was that I would write personal pieces that would explain something about what was going on in my life or my background or my own personal sort of biases and thoughts at the time when I was writing the piece. So the idea was it would be these parallel pieces that would be personal essay with the published journalism. And Connor said, this is interesting, tell me more about that. And so out of that conversation, he commissioned a book of eight essays, which became Negative Space. So I wrote it as eight individual essays with a blended kind of idea of here's what's happening with me and who I am and the idea of having some sort of insight into who is the critic, like who is this person who's kind of hidden behind the review, you know. When I sent the manuscript in, they came back and said, this reads like a memoir. So. I did very little restructuring, a little bit of restructuring of the first and the last chapter, and we moved one chapter to a different location in the book. But essentially, it, it was a memoir, actually. I didn't realise that that was what I was doing, but it was a memoir. So so that's where Negative Space came from. It's already <laughs> something that's been described as uh, searingly intimate. You really do reveal quite a lot. You reveal a lot about your marital breakdown, anxiety, all of this type of stuff. Is that pushing you outside your comfort zone? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So even that other structure I had proposed to the publisher was a way of, you know, going, this is quite structured. Here's here's the journalism. Here's this insight, you know, into who I am. This book, as it turned out, you're right, it's very intimate. It's very personal. It's a personal story. It is outside my comfort zone because even as I say in the book, journalism has rules, you know, you don't reveal yourself in the story. And, and I was trained as, as a journalist, like with all of those things, like, you know, I learned how to do court reporting, news journalism, all of that. And, and in all of those things, the journalist isn't the story, the facts are the story. So um, apart from it being outside my comfort zone to reveal so much about my personal life, it was also a shift in my practice as a writer to be so personal. But that is actually another reason that the book has emerged now and that I could write it now. I had already started to shift that in my in my writing practice. So there's some stuff in the book about writing fiction or whether or not I can write short mm. stories, you know. Um, I have, I mean, I've been writing, I, I just write, that's what I do all the time since I was very small. I have notebooks everywhere. And I had been writing fiction and all kinds of things, diary entries, bits of notes of stuff, things that occurred to me, you know, phrases I liked. Like, I just write things down. That's what I do. And in recent years, I started to accept commissions beyond journalism, which were to write catalogue essays. And a lot of them were studio visits. And I decided with that work that I would 
be more personal, that I would write more, I would bring myself more into what I was writing in a way that you can't with journalism, say. Yeah. And then I had some pieces published in Winter Papers, so I had a short story published in Winter Papers, which is fiction, and that was the first time I'd had a, like a proper piece of fiction published. And then I wrote a personal essay, which was about my granny, so that appeared in Winter Papers two years later. So I had started to write more personal, not just to write it actually, but to publish it. So that's the difference. So I was always writing personal stuff, but it was always for me. So there was a shift there where I realized that maybe I was okay with putting some more of myself out into the world in my writing. So the book comes from that as well, I think. And your question was how far outside my comfort zone is it? Is it, it is far outside my comfort zone in a way, but, but the book felt like it wrote itself in a way yeah and the process of writing it was really felt like assembling a book almost and that might sound strange but what I did when I put the manuscript together was I pulled pieces from everywhere so some of it was notes on my phone some of it was written in notebooks some of it was some of it is previously published stuff you know there are quotes from my own journalism in here some of it was stuff I'd submitted to places that didn't get published and I pulled them all into one big document and went okay what do I have here yeah you know um, and the titles for the chapters came to me then and then I rearranged the bits into the chapters and then I went about crafting it. So that's how I write though. I write loads and loads of words and I pare them down. <laughs> so it's more like sculpting than painting maybe or something. You know, it's, it's like I throw as much as I have, all of it out there and then I pull things out. So I delete, I do loads of editing. Like I cut 10,000 words out before I, the manuscript was even sent to the publishers, you know. Wow, 10,000 words. From, from a, like a less than 40,000 <laughs> word book, you know, so. Um. I want you to talk to listeners a little bit about the title because your own mother is an artist and you have this really beautiful description in the book of how she first explained this concept of negative space to you. Then you kind of extrapolate that into this thing where you're talking about negative space in terms of what it means in the book. I wonder if you could talk us through that a little bit. That idea of negative space and and ways of looking, I think, is something that was, as I say, like my mum taught me to draw by, and well, this is what I remember, and possibly she taught me to draw lots of other things in different ways too, but the memory I have is of her showing me how to draw a cup by drawing the negative space inside the handle of the cup. So um, the idea is that if you draw the edge, not by looking at the object, but by looking at what's beside the object or the shape it makes in relation to the world, that you can still draw it. And it's actually might be, sometimes people get distracted when they're drawing by trying to draw the thing itself. It's an interesting trick. If you draw the, the outline, you can find that you might actually stop thinking about what do I think a cup should look like and actually draw what's right in front of you, right? So it's a kind of a trick for artists, for life drawing or for, for any kind of still life drawing. I remember my mum teaching me that and I remember being really interested in that idea. The book extrapolates that out into notions of what is said and unsaid, ideas around what we see and don't see, um, or what we choose to look at or not look at, and the idea that we're, we're all doing versions of that all the time. Um, you know, um, like maybe there's a problem and you choose not to look at it, or, you know, all of those kind of ideas. So I think for me as well, and I suppose there's also the kind of, you know, double meaning of negative space being like a, a, a depressed place you might go in your head. 
and um, there's quite a bit of darkness in the book there's a lot of anxiety in the book i was trying to explore the idea of this being like a superpower that you can do this you know and see things in a different way and that it also might be a failing because you might miss things you know so like a way of super seeing things and then also a way of possibly not understanding something in its entirety so it, are we see is it also negative space because we are seeing christine leach through her work yeah. In a broader sense. I mean, that's very much something that I picked up on from it was this idea that because you do this amazing thing in this book where you flip flop backwards and forwards between these real moments of personal crisis, sometimes really intense moments of personal crisis. And then you describe that you're often working at the same time. You're like you describe going to a gallery or sitting down to try and finish writing an article in these terrible moments that are happening in your life. And then out of that we kind of get this structure of who you are, but it's kind of seen through your work. Was that, is that conscious, I presume? Yeah, that's really interesting the way you've described that. I think one thing that I wanted to show in the book is the way in which art anchors me and grounds me. So there are descriptions in the book of times when I'm like very anxious. There's like, you know, difficult things happening. And for me, going back to look at some art and also language and words, writing things down is, is for me like a grounding thing. So there's that. And I wanted to articulate how creativity, the way other people express their own feelings through art is something that helps me feel connected again. You know, when I'm feeling like maybe I'm drifting off. I suppose anything is, any any piece of writing is crafted in a way, you know. And so one of the ideas that I use to help me write the book because memoir is not easy to write because everybody around you is also in your story and you're trying to write your own story. I wanted to write my experience. That's what this book is. But you don't have an experience in isolation, of course, you know. And I did a workshop with the writer Leah Mills, who's an incredible writer um, in 2016. And it was a it was a workshop around memoir writing. And I had no intention of writing a memoir at that time. So it's interesting that I was on that workshop. But she said, um, around what to leave in and what to leave out because this was a question that came up in the group you know she said readers do the rest and that phrase readers do the rest I thought was really interesting because it's also what I love about art when it works my favorite art is actually not really obvious it's not telling me everything it's leaving me space to interpret or bring my own story to it so I wanted this book to do this too so in this book you might I mean you might read it and be interested in the art aspect or you might be interested in the writing aspect or you might be interested in the marital breakup aspect or maybe you're interested in the idea of anxiety and how it functions when we're going through difficult times there are lots of different things in the book and what I felt like was the piece that will loom largest for any reader is the bit that resonates with their experience. And I wanted to leave space in the book for that to happen. You know, that was my idea. I want the book to be bigger than itself, like for anybody who comes to it to bring their own experience to it. And because and that's what happens to me when a piece of art really hits me. The piece of art is bigger than itself and the world expands. And that's why I love writing about art, because I want the writing I do to make all of it bigger. 
So it's not about shutting things down with one definition or one articulation of meaning. It's the idea that if you express this thing, then so many more meanings are also possible. And it's, it's a more generous way of thinking about art too. Like there's no one particular meaning to this. And even what the artist meant may not be what it means to you, mm. you know? So that, that idea about space too is, is interesting to me. So what's left out is important because maybe that's the place where you can put your, yourself in, you know? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's part of it. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> so then what you're saying to me there is that that's actually about me picking up on the whole thing of writing in crisis situations <laughs> okay because that was the thing that struck me absolutely most about it was that sense of terrible flux and uncertainty and stuff but then having to re-nail yourself to the mast and yeah. sit down and produce these words and stuff like that I'll probably edit that part I <laughs> love that though I love that that meant something to you when you read it because to me the books that I love are the books where something hits me and mm. it really hits me personally and someone else might read it and it just might do that to them because mm. it doesn't resonate with their experience you know yeah. so um, I'm really proud and delighted if that did that for you because um, that I mean this is what all of creativity is about right it's about sparking something like feeling and I think there was this other thing about, you know, it's a question around art criticism too and writing about art. Like how formal do we need to be? How formal are we going to be in our articulation of this thing? And if we're too formal, does it exclude access for people? This was another question in the book, like the thing of not conflict, but, you know, balance or tiptoe seesaw between logic and emotion you know, between feeling and um, and some sort of more uh, linear articulation of something. And so part of what I was doing in the book was trying to let myself express the emotions, the feelings that often are in my notebook when I encounter art, but I take them out for the piece that goes in the newspaper. Cause that's, cause I'm not writing a personal essay for the newspaper. I'm writing a piece of art criticism. But for me, the really interesting bit about it is if you can write a piece of criticism that somehow leaves a bit of a gap for people to think that there was a bit more there or, you know, so you're not, I remember an editor said to me once, you know, don't, you don't put yourself into the, into the, into the piece of criticism. Don't use the word I, you know, and that appears in the story. And that has shifted over time. The Mm -hmm. word I does appear in journalism now and we have personality driven journalism and we have, you know, journalism has changed since I started writing for the Sunday Times, which was 2003. And I was writing about art before that. The way we use language now has changed, you know. So I do think there's a lot more I in journalism than there used to be. But I remember uh, an editor said to me, well, you're not going to start your piece by saying I was wearing a green jacket as I walked into the gallery and the sun was shining, right? And his argument was, well, you've just wasted several sentences that you could use talking about the art. But also, is it interesting? Who cares, right? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? what what was? And so that's also part of the challenge of this book. Like, you know, you know, it's for me to also revisit that question of who cares who the critic is? Does it matter who the critic is? Is it interesting? You know, I'm really interested in the role of of, of the critic, um, you know, in the idea that if you don't have a really personal response to a piece of art, how can you write well about it? And yet... Art you, criticism is a subjective process, right? You can't avoid, avoid it. So that old argument that that gonzo journalism is honest you know that you can't write yourself out mm-hmm. that when you do you are not being faithful to what has actually occurred because you have been there that's 
something that's clearly bothered you for a considerable it's very interesting. time. I don't know if it's bothered, but it's <clears> like, how do you um, how do you navigate that mm. in a practice? You know, how do you navigate that in a in a in a professional context? Um, how do you decide what isn't isn't interesting? You know, how do you make sure you're not just making yourself the subject of what you're writing about? You know, or being self-indulgent by writing yourself exactly. in endlessly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And actually, that's the phrase I was searching for there: self-indulgent. Mm. Where's the line between self-indulgent and um, and that other thing I'm talking about, which is that it actually is generous. It opens it up to other people's experiences. So that for me is really interesting. How do you do that as a writer? You yeah. know, and I don't know how well I've achieved it in the book, but certainly the other thing about the book is I wanted it to be a book that acknowledges failure, breaking, things falling apart, and that those things are not necessarily wrong or bad, you know, and also that there can be failed writing, there can be bad writing, but it's all part of how you're learning how to write or even how do you learn anything if you don't fail at something as well you know I mean that's like that's really obvious and people say it all the time when we go oh yeah you have to fail to learn but do we really really feel like that we mostly feel like you have to succeed you know so so you know and you say to kids oh failure is part of learning but I think in our hearts we feel like failure is failure and we're all dealing with our own inner critic all the time you know who's saying to us oh you did that bad you did that badly you know Definitely with some forms of creativity, criticism is the killer, but writing is an upper brain activity, right? So if there's several layers to where our creative process lies within us, drumming and dancing is like limbic, right down, you know, not upper brain, but writing is necessarily neurotic. Yes. Right. Okay, so that's actually another important thing. I wanted to bring the body back. Mm. Okay, so for me, this was definitely a piece of writing that came out of me feeling like I needed to be a body again, mm. not just, you know, a brain <laughs> thinking. And some of that was because of the visceral nature of what happens in the body when something difficult or traumatic occurs and it's unavoidable. And that's, you know, that's part of what's expressed in the book you know, shaking and heart rate and um, you know, panicking, basically. And panic happens in the body, you know, that's where it's happening, you know. And it ties as well to the way that I approach writing about art. I have to be a body in the room with the object. I am a body in the room with the object, you know. And there are things to be learnt from encountering sculpture, say, like by walking around it and looking under it and over it and going, you know, and feeling like, a physical presence with its physical presence you know and those things are things that you're learning about the artwork almost without the logical brain part it's like how do I feel about these shapes what's this color doing to my nervous system you know and I was interested in reminding myself of the importance of those things you know and also maybe like maybe that's part of um, how Maybe it's part of how art criticism needs to develop or writing about art needs to develop. Maybe it needs to re-acknowledge the bodiness of us. You know, we are bodies in a room with art. We are, we're bodies reading words too, you know. If a book makes you cry, like, that's your body <laughs> crying, you know. Those are all really interesting things. So I think um, part of the process was was that, what you're saying. And, and there's something in here, there's things in the book about um, singing about sound and about and, and I think again that's again about coming back to the body making a sound is a very different thing to sitting down and typing which is silent you know so the idea of writing as an expression 
um, but something that you're doing in a kind of like brain way and maybe making a sound like singing being a body expression you know and I was interested in exploring those things yeah. and it's it's interesting that you went into this terrain with that where you, you were talking about well there's a, a description of a smear test that had me like clenching my knees for starters you know it's like oh god but then you so you link this idea of women's bodies mouths sound uh, vaginas feelings of violation all of this kind of stuff and it really left me with these with these kind of questions for you about how much of this book was about a kind of a rebellion as a woman and about having to find that voice mm. because very frequently when thing when marriages break down women are expected to behave with great dignity and to just keep going yeah and to just silently just keep going i definitely felt and I do feel that there is a strange societal pressure on us men and women women especially I'm writing from my own perspective and I'm a woman to be quiet about especially marital breakup it's an Irish thing too it's it's not just an Irish thing but you know that thing of um, don't say anything bad you know if you haven't got anything good to say say nothing maybe but and it isn't the book isn't about saying bad things it's about um, being honest and expressing the pain you know to not pretend there wasn't any pain because there was pain and there's something there about the kind of the good girl thing too you know like be be good be quiet don't make a noise, you know, put up with things that have gone wrong, um, that kind of idea. And um, yeah, I do feel that we don't have enough public conversation about marriages ending in Ireland because it's pretty, like divorce is new, right? It's not, you know, we haven't um, had that. And, and it's not like marriages breaking up is new. That's not new. Relationships ending is not new. And in fact, um, you know, like if you look back in history, people got divorced, you know, and get divorced in Ireland. But, you know, we just have a sort of silence around it. We do. And I, and I don't think it's um, I don't think it's good for us. I don't think it's helpful. I think a lot of anxiety comes from that distance between what things look like and what things feel like. And that's the place where anxiety can grow because there's a disconnect there. Right. If it looks like happy families, but it's not happy families. Right. If if someone is just turning up, you know, pretending everything is fine when it isn't. Um, but in, also in the book, there's an acknowledgement of the fact that sometimes lots of marriages get through hard times. Lots of people figure out how to make it work. And there's this idea that if you've ever said anything about how it's not working, that how would you go back there again? Mm. You know, that idea that if you, you know, if, if, you're, if people around you were aware that your marriage was in trouble, say, for example, but you managed to work it out and stay together, then what sort of judgment would there be around that? You know, and I think that's where a lot of silence comes from, too. You already mentioned that uh, it's not just your story that yeah. when, you're, when you're writing a memoir, it's other people's stories. You have two children in their teens. Did you have to give a lot of time and consideration to the impact? You know, they're in their teens now. So a book like this could have some kind of an impact on them and their lives and their conception of the world. Is that a, an interesting call to have to make? Yeah, I talk to them about it um, a lot. The kids have read the book now. And um, although it isn't a book for teenagers, obviously it's a book for adults. Um, but it is their mum's story. So it's important that they were OK with it. And they are OK with it. I also wanted to write this book partially because of what I just talked about there, about the silence around marriage ending. You know, for them now, they live in a society where this isn't strange or unusual. You know, lots of their peers have families that are different shapes to the type of traditional shape that we grew up with in Ireland. 
Um, and so this is just part of that, you know, it's part of understanding that and um, knowing about that. They're very philosophical and, you know, they, they come from a generation where, as I said, it, it's kind of normal. Like well, I grew up in the 80s, you know, I didn't know anybody whose parents weren't together, you know. Also, the world is bigger for them. They have the internet in their pocket, you know, so they are aware that there are all different types of relationships, ways of forming families. Certainly making sure the kids were okay is a large part of consideration around writing it. Um, and they are um, fine with the book, you know, so, um, yeah. So this is your first book. Obviously, you've contributed to a lot of different anthologies and you've had lots of different essays and lots of different types of writing published, but this is your first full-length book. Is that correct? Yep, I haven't written a book before, yeah. So this is my first book. And you say full-length. It's actually not too big a book. It's pretty mm. small. Um, I really wanted to write a book that somebody could read on a single train journey. That was kind of my idea, you know. Um, because I think it's it's um, one of those ones that you could maybe just immerse yourself in, <laughs> you know. It's quite an intense sort of story, I think. Um, yeah, it's my first book. And I, I don't know, if you look around my house, you'll see there's a lot of books. Um, I have loved reading since I was so small and books were always really important to me. So I think, you know, if you're somebody who loves reading and loves books, to, to write a book is actually a you're big deal. You're sitting there putting you know? your hand like on the Penny book as we talk. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, it is a strange, interesting, big deal. Yeah, and you're right, I've published so many, like more than 500 articles, I think, for the Sunday Times and, you know, many other things all over the place. Um, yeah, it's it's a, a book is a different object, isn't it? It's a different thing. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's... It what, is, what do you like most about it? What are you most proud of about it? Gosh, I don't know. I'll pick it up and have a look at it there. I... Hmm. What am I most proud of about it? That's a hard question. Um, Blow your own trumpet a little, will you? <laughs> <laughs> well, this might sound strange, but I'm really pleased with the shape of it. When I was writing it, and, and sound is a big part of the book. Um, there's something strange that happens to me. I love to sing, but there's something really strange that happens to me when I try to sing. Some, and it's an anxiety response. Um, I feel sometimes when I try to sing, not by myself and not with my kids, but in public or in front of people I don't know, that there's an almost a silencing thing that happens. Like I just, I stop. I'm afraid. Now, I love to karaoke. So, you know, there's, there's environments in which I'm very happy to sing, like at a party or something. But if you put me on a stage and said, will you sing a song? There is this moment where I go, oh, and it's like silencing, right? So I thought about the book when I was writing it. And this comes back to the shape thing. The eight essays, which is what I conceived it as, and it's now eight chapters. I wanted there to be beats in each chapter that um, that chimed together. So there are some moments that repeat in the book and the way that I thought about it was as eight tracks on an album and that if you could play all eight of these essays or chapters at once, that they would go together like a song being sung in the round. So there would be moments where they diverged and moments where they came together. And that sounds like a kind of a strange notion, but it was how I allowed myself to repeat things. So, you know, as a journalist, you're like, oh, I said that already, so I won't say that there. That belongs there, it doesn't belong there. But this book was allowed to have a rhythm in my head as I wrote it, a rhythm that allowed it to keep hitting the same beat sometimes. So there were some moments that repeat in the book throughout the chapters, and I thought of them as eight songs. Like, so I thought of the book as, as, as an album, which is strange, because it's not... <laughs> It's not an audio thing, but I thought of it as eight tracks that were telling a story. 
and that we're allowed to revisit the story more than once through different lenses in each of those. So I feel like I did it. I feel like I made that work. I don't know if it's apparent to anyone else, but that's the bit I'm proud of um, in terms of the shape of it. Yeah, I'm I'm proud of the shape. Actually, that's it. I'm proud of the shape of the book, uh, I think. You describe a couple of years of really traumatic upheaval in this book, starting in kind of, I think, 2017, really. Is it 2016, 2017? Earlier than that, really. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. yeah. But so where are you now? Oh, in a different place. Yeah, I couldn't have written this book like four years ago, mm. three years ago, two years ago even. And that's why when you asked me at the beginning, like, how, why did this book come from? Kind of, you know, there's a sort of why now about that. And some of it is, yeah, I'm so, you know, when you go through something difficult, like a marriage breakup, there's sadness, there's grief, there's anger, there's all those feelings, you know, and a bit of bitterness probably as well. And I don't feel those anymore. And I couldn't have written it until I didn't feel them because I needed to be beyond those things to try and understand them. The other thing is something to do with the pandemic and it was to do with thresholds. I think when we all got locked down into our houses um, and there was this massive distance between inside and outside. So at the I remember at the very beginning when it was first announced that we all had to stay inside, you know, you'd be able to go to the shop but you were supposed to stay inside till we, till, till we figure out what to do with this thing. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, like home is safe. Here we are at home. But if we step outside, do you remember when people were like, you know, washing their their jackets and taking their clothes off washing at the front door, washing yeah. the groceries, yeah. right? This idea of the outside world as being, you know, really dangerous and scary. And but But also we couldn't see it. We didn't know what it was. What was it? And was it really that scary? You know, if you touched the handle, of something somewhere and then came back into your house and didn't disinfect your hands, what was gonna happen, you know? So I started thinking a lot about thresholds and it was to do with thresholds between inside and outside. And there's some stuff in the book around my anxiety and feeling trapped in the house, you know? And it was also thresholds between speaking and not speaking, mm. saying something that's important mm. or keeping it inside. And it was thresholds between, you know, the body and the rest of the world and, and lots of other things like that. But, but um, the book is also, um, a navigation of those thresholds you know and for me and so I suppose as well the other thing I'm proud of is that it is a book I'm proud that it's a book you know um, um, <laughs> I'm really proud it's a book and um, that it's sort of all of these bits of writing that were living on my phone in my notebooks you know on bits of paper in my head all over the place have somehow assembled into this object that's in the world you know mm. and that's a, that's that's also a threshold for me like this you know public private you know, head-based, heart-based, body-based, logic-based, all these, and it's a sort of an attempt to navigate that threshold and maybe turn it into something that can stand by itself and contain all those things. And that's, that's what the book is, you know, that I can hold it and go, they're all in there, all those things, you know. What are you going to do next? Do you have another book in you? I have the book I want to write next. Okay, yes. Isn't this one? okay. Tell me about the book okay. you want to write next. Okay, so I actually applied for the Markovich Award for this book and I didn't get it. So the Arts Council is funding, you know, 10 projects um, 
a year I think at the moment around that um I didn't get it but I did get some feedback to say it was shortlisted so I know this book is a goer and I would I really want to write it and it's a novella it's an epistolary novella which is a big mouthful of words to just say it's a book of letters um and it's historical fiction biofiction and it's a book of letters between two Irish artists who have passed away and I won't say too much more about it but I have been researching and writing this book on and off for a very long time it took me until I went to the Tyrone Guthrie Centre in 2017 I think and it was there that I realized the shape of that book and that is what I had actually applied for the Markovich Award for um so now that I've articulated that to myself really well and I know so to me it's about the shape of it once I know the shape of it I can write it Mm. so that book I want to write and that would again be a short book and it would be in letter form and again it's one of those difficult um, things to do because these are two real people they did exist they're not alive anymore so it's that question of like you know the threshold between what do you what can you fictionalize what can you you know you can't have been there so you're obviously if I write a book that's letters I'm making up the letters because they don't exist so how much um, authority do you give yourself to tell stories that aren't your own you know these are really interesting yeah Yeah, massive really and so that's what I want to write next but I'm also assembling all the bits and bobs and things that I write down all the time into another set of eight chapters for a book that I would like to put together to kind of follow up to this. But I think that will be a longer process because I felt like this book, this book assembled itself over many years, you know, really. There are pieces in this book that I probably wrote in a notebook six years ago, you Mm. know, more and more, longer. So it sounds like you've spent all this time writing yourself in with this book for negative space and that for the second book you're going to like vanish again <laughs> yeah maybe because if you're writing letters between two artists two people it, who yeah, aren't then, me then you're not going to be in that one right? I won't be in that one no that one I'm not going to be in and for me it's really exciting actually to be able to um, assemble writing into a book format you know I yeah. think if you've always loved books since you were very young the idea of having <laughs> a book you know it's, it's sort of a magical thing, you know, yeah. the idea of books um, containing some sort of portal again to like, you know, insight or whatever, feeling, mm-hmm. ideas, all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's um, so I will be busy. Yes. Well, I wish you luck for the rest of your because you have presumably lots more dates coming up with speaking engagements for, for a negative space. So I wish you all the best for that. And thank you so much for having Tripe and Rasheen in your home. It's been lovely talking to you. Oh, thank you so much. Great to have you here. Thanks very much for listening to the Tripe and Rasheen Saturday morning arts and culture podcast with me, Ellie O'Byrne. Please remember that Tripe and Rasheen is an ad-free fully reader-supported local news initiative here in Cork City and County. If you like and value what we do, you can subscribe for just €8 per month or €80 per year to support our work. And we'll use that money to pay ourselves and also to do things like appeal, freedom of information decisions, and to support the work of other freelance journalists in the area. If you can't afford to subscribe, you can also get most of our articles for free by just signing up and they'll still arrive in your email inbox. And if you go down this route, I do have one other favour to ask you. You can help us to spread the word. We're still a small and growing organisation and we'd like to do more to show that an ad-free model works for local news. But that means that we need readers who can support us. So you can help us spread the word by using our social media channels. That's at 
Tidrasheen on Twitter or Dreipendrasheen on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks very much for listening. Talk to you next time.